As we have looked from several different angles at creation, in this study of man, it would behoove us to look at the point of creation. The purpose of creation is that God created us as living souls to glorify Him, to live a life to the glory of God. That is the only purpose. Life's all about Him. This is 180 degrees in opposition, contrary to the secular world's way of thinking and acting. It stands in the face of monolithic and scientifically sophisticated superstructure of modern science in our day and age, that which is dominated by evolutionary theories. At large, society affirms naturalistic evolutionary processes to account for the origin of man, for the creation of man, for the development, how that we morphed out of primordial ooze uh, covering millions of years. This is a suggestion that excludes God from the picture and the biblical creation according to Genesis 1 and 2. Instead, evolution in one form or another is modern man's starting point. Yet this is not a reliance on uh, science or evidence. The real issue is not the evidence or the so-called uh, verdict that they would, would render. The, the real issue is a worldview based on their own heart commitment that is secular. It is a heart commitment that is not God-centered. Their cosmology, you heard of cosmology, your, your view of the universe? Their, their cosmology, their view of the universe is in opposition to all revealed truth and submission to the Creator, the Lord God, as He reveals Himself in Scripture. So there must be either a, either a belief in the living God and His revelation in Scripture or a belief in the God of man's own devising. That is the issue. That is the crux. We're saying that a, a Christian has, by God's grace, become a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, a new creation through regeneration, by faith. And by faith, he understands that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. That is Hebrews eleven three. We take it by faith because God reveals it in His Word about Himself and His own creative act. Whereas the unbeliever who is not a new creature in Christ, is in darkness, as Scripture records. And he receives not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned, 1 Corinthians 2.14. Not only can he not comprehend God's truth, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to bow to God's truth. So the outlook and the clash of these two views are on a collision course. And we must be readied in our defense and in our uh, living out the Christian experience with a God-centered worldview. The doctrine of creation, I would posit to you, is a pillar of the Christian faith. Hebrews 11.3, we, we take it by faith. This is a walk of faith. It's a fundamental tenet of revelation. 
So through salvation, through regeneration, we see with reality, because we've got the eyes of faith, the spectacles of faith to believe from a God-centered world, worldview point. So science, anthropology, the study of man, education, history, theology, philosophy, any of that that's not based on such a theistic creationist understanding of reality is going to be distorted and it is going to be flawed. As you read in the Westminster Catechism, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is the only reason why God created you or myself. He created man for His own blessing and His own glory. That is why He created everything else, not only you and I, but all the universe, because creation, the heavens, are declaring, they are narrate, literally in the Hebrew, are narrating the, the glory of God, Psalm 19.1. All around us, God's creation is singing His praises, it's putting His glory on display, and so are we too. Therefore, all man's reflection on creation and work within God's creation should acknowledge God as Creator and seek to bring glory to Him. So that's why we want to spend our Sunday school this morning and probably next week to look at a, a theology of glory, since that is the purpose in God's creative genius. That is why He created us. Let's think about glory so that we can put handles of application to carry with us as reminders throughout each day and week, should the Lord tarry, to glorify God. You know, if you were to go through, I'd, I'd mention that, uh, that Greek word glory, doxa. You trace that all throughout the New Testament in the epistles. Jot down, if you will, uh, and I, I apologize for no handout. I'll try to have them next week. But it, uh, if you got your bulletin, jot down some of the doxologies in the New Testament. Jot down Romans 11.36. For, for, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul breaks out in praise and doxology. He does so again in Romans 16, verses 25 through 27. Now to God who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but is now disclosed and through the prophetic writings is made known to all the Gentiles according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ to whom be the doxa, the glory forever. Amen. He does so again in Galatians 1.5. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He does so to the Ephesians in Ephesians 3 verses 20 and 21. He commits them to Him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we cannot ask or imagine. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He does so to the Philippians in Philippians 4.20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
As Paul is teaching Timothy about the church and Christian ministry in 1 Timothy 1.17, he tells him, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He does so in the second epistle to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.18, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The writer of Hebrews Whoever he is, we'll discuss that later. Hebrews 13, 21, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Peter gets in on these doxologies in his first epistle, 1 Peter 4, 11, to him be, uh, belong the glory. Who belongs the glory? To him, capital H, belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. He does so in the next chapter, 1 Peter 5, 11, to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. 2 Peter 3, 18, to Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. In this time and the time to come. Jude, in Jude 25, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be the glory, the majesty, the power, the authority before all time and now and forever. And lest John get left out on these doxologies, these praises to God as he, he closes the canon of Scripture in Revelation, Revelation 1, 5 and 6, to Him who loves us and freed us from our sins. Boy, he, he recognizes that if you understand your redemption, you understand to give God glory. To Him who loves us and freed us from our sins by His blood made us to be a kingdom priests serving His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. He says so again in Revelation 4.11, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. The next chapter, chapter 5, verse 13, To the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Revelation 7.12, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. I mean, you, you go through Scripture and it is patently obvious to the casual observer that we are to glorify God with what we are and what we have. And so let's seek to live a life to the glory of God. First thing to living a life to the glory of God. First point, you must understand why you need to glorify God. I'd be happy even if we get through this first point today. Uh, and, and a few subheadings under this. As, as I say to you that you must understand why you need to glorify God, as if, as if you need to be prompted, as if we need to be reminded why, because we need to be reminded First of all, because of who God is. Because of who God is, we glorify Him. Wrong views will hinder us from giving glory to God and reflecting His attributes. Right views will encourage us to give glory to God. So, any, any way in which we misunderstand and misperceive God, He won't be glorified. But in any way that He reveals Himself in Scripture and we come to understand and respond to who He is, He is glorified. 
Second, why we must understand why, why you need to glorify God, because of what He has done and is doing. Now, let me skip back a half a second here. Uh, Job teaches us the lesson that you don't worship God because of all the goodies He gives you, right? You worship God because of who He is. That is, that is the overarching theme of the book, of, of, the book of, of Job. So you simply worship and glorify Him because of who He is, but the second point is also, in addition to, not in substitution for, but in addition to that, because of what He has done and is doing. God is at work. He started a work of salvation in your life and continues sanctifying you and I. In what condition did He begin this work? According to Ephesians 2.1, you were, what? Dead. We were dead men, dead in our trespasses and sins, hopeless and helpless to save ourselves. We were in a condition under the wrath of God with no possibility to get out of that condition of suffering the eternal wrath of God unless He intervened. Why do we glorify God? Because God intervened in my life. We, if we had nothing else in life and everything else in life stunk and everything else in life fell apart, if you've got salvation, you've got everything. We were following Satan. We were doomed to hell. And if we really understand, I was talking with a, with a brother from church here yesterday that was over at the house, and, and I said, you know, this, when you truly understand total depravity, that leads you to worship. If you understand how bad a condition, and as we grow in our understanding of how wicked we were in our trespasses and sins, he who is forgiven much, what? Loves much. And the more we recognize how great a debt was paid to purchase us from the slave market of sin, the greater our love grows and our response to glorify God. You know, salvation and sanctification... Uh, Subpoint under the subpoint of what God is, has done and is doing. Not only, uh, you know, how, how about you add in God's mighty and good deeds and also God's undeserved love? And how about uh, our place and, and the role of the church? I, if you want to turn to one of those passages that I, I read for us this morning, Ephesians chapter 3, when Paul breaks out into one of his doxologies, in, in Ephesians 3, verses, uh, the way he ends the chapter in Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21, now to him who is able to do, why do we glorify God? Because of what he has done and is doing. Now to him who is able to do, how much? Far more abundantly beyond, you know, it's, it's like Paul is tongue-tied here like I get often and trying to find a word to describe what you're trying to say. And if you can't find the word, make it up. <laughs> you know, and so he's, he's just grabbing at these words far more abundantly beyond all as if he can't find enough adjectives to describe God's doing. 
When you go to God and you beg for His wisdom, and you beg Him that you, He would help you in glorifying Him through the power of the Spirit, when you are asking Him for the salvation of your loved ones and friends, and you are praying, you are praying to the One who does far more. You know, He's not the God in a box kind of thing. You know, this is the Sovereign One who does whatsoever He wills so that it comes to pass. That is the one that we ask and think about according to the power that works within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. You know, think about your role in this glory. You know, that, that to be in Christ, to be a part of the church is to be a part of God's great work. What a privilege that He has allotted to us Last night, in our, uh, as, as we're reading through the Bible, uh, we continued last night uh, in, in uh, the book of Exodus, right, for those that are everyone up to date in your Scripture Bible reading, and uh, you, you continued uh, about the, the plagues and the, uh, the Exodus experience, and what was God's charge? Uh, one of the themes that kept coming up in the reading last night was that you were delivered from Egypt by a, uh, the strong and mighty hand of God. Yeah, and that, that was to be rehearsed in the home. That was to be memorialized. This is one of the greatest events that has ever taken place, that ever took place in the history of Israel, was that by a strong hand, God pulled His people out of bondage. In the same way that Paul said to the Ephesians, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. We must understand why we need to glorify God, because of who He is, because of what He has done and is doing. How about a, how about a third? Because we were all created for it. This is, this is the whole purpose of creation. I've been relying some on the Apostle Paul this morning. Let me rely on him again. Let me remind you of a verse that he writes in his second epistle to the Corinthians. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 5.15? Which tells us not only the purpose of creation, it tells us the purpose of salvation. Somebody want to read that for us? 2 Corinthians 5.15 if you don't have it memorized. This is not a man-centered view of salvation, is it? This is a God's, why did God save you to deliver us from our own agenda, our own sin, our own aims in life? Not to live unto ourselves, but to live unto Him, to the glory of Him. You know, we, we don't know God so that He can serve us. We know, God, that we can glorify Him, that all things be unto God. You, you, look, at, you look at some of the uh, references that I gave us there, some of the fodder for us to, to contemplate there in Ephesians, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 43. You see, this is not just a New Testament theme of giving glory to God in 
Isaiah 43, 7. Notice what the prophet says. Everyone who is called by my name, says the Lord, and whom I have created, why? For my glory. Whom I have formed, even whom I have made. You know, as you reflect upon the uh, purpose of creation. You, you know how I started off in the introduction mentioning about the, 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 the uh, clashing of two views, the God-centered worldview and the secular worldview. In, in Romans 1, where Paul's talking about this, this great and exalted gospel that is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, in response to the gospel, the gospel call, what does unsaved man do in rebellion against? He, he's going to suppress God's truth and unrighteousness. And uh, he, he gets on talking about that, verses uh, 18 and following. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. What's Paul reminding us of here? That by virtue of conscience, which is Romans 2, and here in Romans 1, as well as back in Psalm 19, all of creation testifies to God's existence. Even unbelievers know that there's a God. So when man wants to explain man's creation, how we got here, and wants to excuse God from the equation that it is instead evolutionary theory, that is a suppression of what they know to be true. This is a violation against their conscience and against creation because God made it evident to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. This is uh, not only, not only are, the, are the Scriptures clear, creation is clear. It testifies to God. They're clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. What, what, what's the bottom line? They didn't glorify God. Unbelievers do not glorify God. That is not their agenda. So, in verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed. We don't want the God of the Bible, so we'll manufacture our own little g-gods, our own idols to worship. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the Creator rather than the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Over in 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, and verse 31. 
again, uh, with this, uh, with having a theocentric worldview, a God-centered worldview. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know that verse there in uh, chapter 10, verse 31, so that whether you eat or whether you drink, and the understanding is, and everywhere in between the eating and drinking, you do all to God's glory. Look over at Colossians, the first chapter as well. In Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, chapter 1, verse 16, as, as, as Paul is putting Christ on display and Christ's preeminence, Christ being, having the first place, as he, as he discloses the incomparable Christ, he says in Colossians 1.16, For by Him, by Christ, Christ the agent of creation, by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Notice those two prepositions. To, or excuse me, through, begins with a T, through and for. Because Christ created us, Christ is to be exalted. Because Christ made us for His glory, we are to glorify Him. Other passages that we could turn to, but, but won't. I can't help it. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1, another first chapter, because I can't help myself. Ephesians 1, as we contemplate the glory of redemption, the glory of being saved from our sins, the glory of being created with a purpose. In Ephesians 1, and verse number 6, as, as Paul is blessing God, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, the God who chose us, the God who predestined us to adoption as sons because of His kind intention, Notice verse 6, He has done so, as He adopted us as children, He has done so to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Skip down to verse 12. Again, another prepositional phrase, to the end, to the purpose, in other words. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. Go down another couple of verses. Verse 14. Uh, in reference to the Holy Spirit of promise, verse 13, uh, who is given as a pledge, as a promise of the best is yet to come in our inheritance. With a view to the redemption of God's own possession... You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, which are, in your soul, which are His. 
God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. You know, meditate on some of these many verses that we have looked at. You and I need to understand why we need to glorify God. There is plenty of biblical revelation informing us of the foundational purpose in creation and salvation. Number one, because of who God is. Number two, because of what He has done and is doing. Number three, because we were all created for it, and if we do not glorify God, we're not even accomplished the one purpose that we're created for. And number four, because He expects it exclusively and will answer to Him. You know, He's the one that deserves it. I'd uh, already referred to the prophet Isaiah back in Isaiah 42 and verse number 7. Excuse me, verse 8. As, as I say that He expects it exclusively, Isaiah testifies to that in Isaiah 42, 8. God says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. God is a jealous God. He will not tolerate a sharing of glory. I'll refer to that a little bit more in a moment. But He is the one that deserves it. It is a, an abomination to withhold glory or give it to another one or oneself. Turn over to Acts 12 for a moment. This account, uh, it was amazing. When I uh, read this in years ago, probably 20 years ago, I couldn't wait to preach on it because it was so staggering, so vivid a picture of the antithesis of what we just read in, or what I just read for you in Isaiah 42.8, that He won't share His glory with another. And in Acts 12, we've got an account that testifies in vivid technicolor of God's response to those that want to share in what only belongs to Him. You remember it? Acts 12 in verse number 20. This is uh, the death of Herod. We're told in Acts, Acts 12, 20 that Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon and with one accord, they came to him, and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. Stop for a moment. Look up at, look at me. You remember the place of oratory in Roman culture? The, the great speeches and how eloquent of words that was looked up upon. And so Herod partook of that. He, began the, he, he, he delivered this address to the people. And notice their response in verse 22. 
And the people kept crying out. And this is what any good actor or spokesperson wants to hear. They want, they want to hear, oh, great job. You know, they have their back tickled, you know. Uh, they were crying out, the voice of a god and not of a man. You're, you're, you're the greatest spokesman. You know, this must be Hermes. Voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. What a graphic account of how God killed somebody who assaulted his glory. I'm left with a question. Why doesn't everyone die like this? Every boastful person who thinks that they are self-made man, accomplishing their own purpose, giving God no glory, and I think there's only one response, and that's the patience of God. Every person deserves to die the same way that Herod did. Again, going back to uh, Isaiah and uh, chapter 48, uh, let me tell you in regards to Herod that anything you or I do to glorify ourselves or our ministry, our service to the Lord… is in effect stealing glory from God. And God knows the garment's glory only belong to Himself. They only fit Him. In Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11, God says, for the sake of my name, I delay my wrath. God's glorified not only in the punishment of evildoers and rebels like Herod, but He is glorified in delaying His wrath, giving people time to repent. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Continuing on in uh, Isaiah 48, 9, the, the second half of the verse, for my praise, I restrain it for you in order not to cut you off. Behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another? So in the mystery of God, sometimes He touches people in affliction and even killing people like Herod. Or how about uh, Nadab and Abihu who offered strange fire in disobedience to God and God struck them dead immediately. But he is even glorified in the postponement of judgment. In the patience of God, he allows people to live on who blaspheme his name, given them time to turn to him in repentant faith. Amazing. Amazing that God is glorified in withholding deserved judgment for a time. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. He will not share it. We could go on with other biblical examples, biblical illustrations of, uh, you know, like in Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar, who is pastoring for seven years. Let me give you one more, one more thought to go home with from the, the lesson on glorifying God. 
And I apologize, I don't have another slide for this. Number two, in living a life for the glory of God, the Christian must grasp that in his present situation, it is most important that he glorify God. Because God deserves it. He expects us to glorify Him in every situation. It affects our communion with God as as we get ready to, to partake of the Lord's table together. We're to be glorifying Him in every event and with every person. Now that, that affects our appropriation of His grace and help in the situation. If, if, if we are not glorifying God in the present situation, it will create more sin and turmoil and trouble in life because He won't share it. Some of you might have noticed, I, I know there's a number of Facebookers and some, a lot of you get on, online for, for news and whatnot. You look at the, the song that was surprised and, and, uh, that uh, Johnny Erickson Tata just, just did on Alone Yet Never Alone. You know, to, to me, she, is, she has been a poster child over the years of one that in this present situation seeks to glorify God. When you think of somebody who might quote-unquote deserve the fussing, the, uh, the murmuring, the complaining of, of the pain and the, the quote-unquote unfairness of life and being a quadriplegic and the, and the, and the pain that goes on with the, with the breathing and the, the, the body that is, is literally falling apart, who chooses in the moment to worship, to worship. That glorifies God. Another person stands out as a landmark to look to as, as, as those, as, as we look at the history of the church, those devoted to the glory of God, I think of one man. He was a pastor, a preacher, and the greatest theologian that America ever produced. Not too many miles from here, Jonathan Edwards. And as just a young man, Jonathan Edwards was so devoted to the glory of God, he wrote up resolutions, resolved commitments to live every day and every moment to the glory of his King, his Creator, his Savior, devoted to the glory of God. And so he penned his resolutions. I think it was around uh, like the first 21 of his resolutions that were all written in one sitting. And they were written right over in New Haven where, where you guys are moving. You know, it's, it's just remarkable. The first resolution that Jonathan Edwards made, he said, resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory. You know, it goes on from there, but just think about that thought. What in the moment is going to bring the most glory to our Creator and Savior, God Himself? And as he continued to seek the glory of God, 
Another one of those resolutions was in uh, number 23, resolved frequently to take some deliberate action which seems most unlikely to be done for the glory of God and trace it back to the original intention, designs, and ends of it. And if I find it not to be for God's glory, to repute it as a, re- as a breach of uh, the fourth resolution. One committed to taking advantage of every opportunity as a platform to give God glory. Resolution 27, resolved, never willfully to omit anything except the omission. You know, I'm going to seek to do nothing except for what brings glory to God and frequently to examine my omissions, whether what I chose not to do is what brings God glory. So this has been just a little mini jet tour through some scriptures of a theology of glory, that which God has created us for and saved us for, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for us and rose again. Would you pray with me? Father, there is much biblical revelation penned before us in the Holy Scripture that we need to be doers of the Word over in bringing glory to You. We need to begin to glorify You more simply because of who You are. We need to dig into the pages of Scripture that reveal who You are, that we might worship You for who You are. And as we reflect upon what You have done for us in the Beloved, what You continue to do, we need to glorify You. Lord, we know that this is the, the supreme purpose by which you have, for which you have created us. And we know that you expect it from us. In life's events, might we respond in glorifying ways. With our affections, might they be centered on glorifying you. Each decision that we make throughout the day might it be devoted to your glory, and where we fail to deliver glory to you, might there be 